today we conclude our series that we've been in called Of First Importance, based on 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says that the gospel is of first importance. We saw at the beginning of this series that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And today, our sermon is titled, He Appeared. He Appeared. So I hope you found Luke chapter 24. We're going to read together starting in verse 36 and we'll go to the end of the chapter. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. The truth can be really inconvenient. And as much as we would like to be able to ignore certain truths, there are certain truths that just demand a response. When I was in high school, uh, my family lived in Jacksonville, Florida, And while we lived there, thankfully, we never had to endure a hurricane, uh, but we did experience one tropical storm. Uh, And it came through our area one early Saturday morning. And I'll never forget that morning because I was was woken up that morning by my mom bursting through my bedroom door saying, the tropical storm is here. Our roof is leaking. You have to go help dad fix our roof. And so... I'm alerted, I, I'm, I'm awake, it's early Saturday morning, I'm trying to, you know, come, come awake. And you know, I'm sure as a 
teenage boy trying to sleep in on Saturday morning, um, I would have really liked to have just ignored that truth. Keep on sleeping. But I couldn't, I didn't even have time to think about it. It was a truth that was so urgent, that was so important, that it demanded a response. The truth may have been inconvenient, but I couldn't ignore it. Well, our passage today contains three truths about Jesus that you can't ignore. Three glorious truths about Jesus that compel a response. We're going to see Jesus in this passage, and I I am excited to be able to preach this passage to us this morning because we see a glorious Jesus. And my prayer for us is that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see Jesus revealed on the pages of Scripture. That this passage, that he would cause the truth of this passage to weigh so heavily on our hearts that we can't help but respond in a manner that is worthy of these Jesus. Here's the three truths that we see in this passage. Three truths that we can't ignore. One, Jesus is physically resurrected. Jesus is physically resurrected. Number two, Jesus is fulfilling scripture. Jesus is fulfilling scripture. And then third, Jesus is gloriously exalted. These are three truths that demand a response. So first of all, Jesus is physically resurrected. So we saw last week, Jesus was um, Jesus met these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he talked with them, and ultimately, he revealed himself. He appeared to them. And when they realized that they had seen the resurrected Christ, they immediately went back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles and the other disciples. Well, when they got there, before they could even give their report, the apostles and the disciples told these two disciples that Peter himself had also seen Jesus, that he had appeared to him. Well, and then verse 36 in our passage tells us that while they were talking about these appearances of Jesus, Jesus appeared to them. Of course, this startled, it terrified the disciples. And they thought that they were seeing a ghost. They thought that their eyes were seeing something that wasn't physical. And this is really important because some who deny the resurrection of Jesus say that the apostles, they claimed that Jesus was physically alive, but really they were just seeing um, something that wasn't really there. They, they were seeing a figment of their imagination. Uh, they were really sad and uh, their uh, Minds started to uh, create this fantasy that they had seen Jesus physically alive. But actually, the opposite is true. They thought they were seeing something that wasn't physically there. They thought it was just a vision. They thought it was a ghost. But they had to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt with physical, tangible evidence that Jesus really was physically with them. So Jesus asks his disciples, Why are you afraid? Why do you doubt that I'm really physically present with you? And then he goes on to give them physical evidence that he is physically alive and in their presence, that he was really there. Uh, First of all, he was audible. They heard his voice speaking before them. Uh, Second, he was visible three times in this passage. Jesus says, see, 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 and he shows them his hands and his feet that the gospel of John tells us were still scarred, having been nailed to the cross. 
He was audible, he was visible, and he was also touchable. Uh, He said, touch me and see. And they could feel that he had flesh and bones and no spirit has that. So the disciples heard and they saw and they touched Jesus and they were astounded. Uh, Luke says in verse 41, they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Uh, And just to be clear, that word disbelieve doesn't mean that they weren't convinced. Those two words for joy tagged on to disbelieve. Then combined with the word marveling indicate that this is an expression of amazement. Like we would say, "I I can hardly believe my eyes. And as if that weren't enough proof, Luke goes on to record for us that Jesus asked for something to eat. So the disciples handed, uh, handed Jesus a piece of broiled fish, and he ate right there in front of them. Jesus proved with all five senses that he was physically alive. We can have certainty As Luke says in the beginning of his gospel, we can have certainty, not only that Jesus was physically alive, but that he is physically alive today. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Of course, Jesus' physical resurrection body is far superior to these mortal bodies that you and I currently have. His body is glorified. It's it's immortal. He is more than flesh and bones, but we can't miss this. He is not less than flesh and bones. Jesus is, present tense, physically resurrected. Truth number two. Jesus is fulfilling scripture jesus is fulfilling scripture we see this in verses 44 to 49 jesus physically resurrected appeared to his disciples in order to teach them Uh, he tells them in verse 44 that it is it was necessary it was necessary for everything written about him in the old testament to be fulfilled on its own the old testament is a story without a hero On its own, the Old Testament is promises without fulfillment. It's tension needing resolution. The Old Testament needed to be fulfilled. But furthermore, as Jesus was saying this, what he showed his disciples was that his coming was not plan B. God has had one plan since before the foundation of the earth. Since eternity passed, he then communicated that plan in the Old Testament. It's what Paul referred to in Ephesians chapter 3 as the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Sending Jesus wasn't a new plan. It wasn't a different plan. It wasn't an adapted plan. God was carrying out his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. In order for the disciples to understand this, though, we're told here that he had to open their minds in verse 45. We saw last week that Jesus opened the scriptures with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And then later, their eyes were opened to recognize Jesus before them. And here, Jesus opened the disciples' minds so that they could understand that the Old Testament scriptures really are about him. So, what were these things written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms that needed to be fulfilled? Uh, Well, there's far too many for us to address this morning But Jesus identifies three, and I just want to give you a quick uh, overview of some of these things. Jesus identifies three things written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms that needed to be fulfilled. First, in verse 46, that the Christ should suffer. Well, what was written in the law that needed to be fulfilled in Jesus' death? Well, among other things, the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament had a big problem. Uh, as Hebrews 10.4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Jesus fulfilled this by coming and offering a sacrifice that actually worked. What about the prophets? Well, how about Isaiah 53? If you've been with us over the last few weeks, just about every week we've looked at a verse from Isaiah 53 and how Jesus fulfilled that word of that prophet in his coming as the suffering servant. Well, what about the Psalms? Well, when we looked at the crucifixion a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus fulfill multiple psalms, including Psalm 22. He was fulfilling that psalm as he was mocked, Psalm 22, 7 and 8 says, as he was pierced in his hands and his feet, verse 16 of Psalm 22 says, and as they divided his garments and cast lots for them, Psalm twenty-two eighteen. The second thing that Jesus said was written was that the Christ should on the third day rise from the dead. You can see that in verse 46. So where is this anticipated that the Christ should on the third day rise from the dead? Where is that anticipated in the law of Moses? Well, one place is Genesis 22. We're told there that on the third day, Abraham took Isaac up Mount Moriah to obey God's command to sacrifice him. And Hebrews 11.19 tells us that Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. But Jesus, the ultimate offspring of Abraham, actually died and physically, not figuratively, rose from the dead on the third day. What about the prophets? Well, Hosea wrote in Hosea 6.2, After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. What about the Psalms? Well, at Pentecost, Peter is going to stand up and preach that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ when he wrote in Psalm 1610, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. What's the third thing that Jesus said was written that had to be fulfilled? Well, verse 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Well, what was written about this in the law? We saw just a few weeks ago in Genesis that God told Abraham that his plan was to bless all the nations of the earth through his offspring who Paul tells us was Christ Jesus. What about the prophets? Well, 
Paul will say in Acts 13 that the gospel being proclaimed to all nations was what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 49.6 when God said, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. What about the Psalms? Well, we can see the proclamation of the gospel anticipated in places like Psalm 96, verses 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. But notice that there's something different about this third thing that Jesus said had to be fulfilled. As Jesus stood there with his disciples, he had already fulfilled scripture in his death. He had already fulfilled scripture in his resurrection. But this third thing had yet to be fulfilled. The one who had fulfilled scriptures was saying to his disciples that it was necessary that he continue to fulfill the scriptures through them. Look at what Jesus said in verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Now, it's important that we recognize Jesus was not just making an observation. He wasn't just stating a fact. This was a commission. Witnesses don't just see something. They say something. If a witness is called in court and keeps their mouth shut, it doesn't do any good, no matter what they've seen or heard. Witnesses must bear witness. They must testify. By appointing the disciples as his witnesses, Jesus was giving those who had seen him a mission to tell all the nations about him. Jesus didn't just give them a mission, though. He also promised to give them the power that they would need to be able to carry it out. In verse 49, Jesus said that he would send the promise of his Father, the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he would clothe them with power to be his witnesses. But he instructed them, stay in Jerusalem until he comes. Don't even think about trying to fulfill this mission without the Holy Spirit. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's eternal plan continues to unfold. Even today, the plan continues to unfold through Jesus' disciples. The message about Jesus is still being proclaimed to the nations. Jesus is, present tense, fulfilling scriptures. Truth number three, Jesus is gloriously exalted. See this in verses 50 to 53. Jesus took his disciples to Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, and there he blessed his disciples. Jesus was about to physically depart from his disciples. In fact, while he was blessing them, Luke tells us he departed. And it's fitting that Jesus was still blessing his disciples while he was departing. Because Jesus' ascension and his exaltation to the Father's right hand is the reason why the blessing of God could come to Jesus' disciples. 
specifically the blessing of God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus would send after his exaltation. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Or as Peter will say at Pentecost in Acts 2, 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Because Jesus was exalted to the throne of God with all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus was able to pour out the Spirit upon his disciples and to continue to fulfill the plan of God through his disciples. After Jesus ascended, the disciples recognized that Jesus was not only fully human and had been physically resurrected, but that he was also fully God and had been gloriously exalted. And so they responded in the only appropriate way. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they obeyed his instruction to return to Jerusalem where they continued to worship at the temple until the exalted son sent the promise of the father. Jesus is, present tense, gloriously exalted. So the question that you have to answer this morning is, what are you going to do with this Jesus? He is physically resurrected. He is fulfilling scripture. And he is gloriously exalted to the place of highest authority. These are truths that you cannot ignore. So how will you respond? Well, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I think the response that this passage would have you respond with is really clear. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. It's right there in the text in verse 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You and I are sinners. And a perfect God of justice must judge sins. There is nothing, there is nothing that you or I could ever do to make ourselves right with this God. But Jesus died and he took the judgment that your sins deserved. And not only that, he is alive today. And he is calling you to turn from your sins and to come to him. To trust in him so that you can be forgiven of your sins against God. So that you too can be resurrected to eternal life forever with this gracious and glorious king. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who know this physically resurrected and gloriously exalted Savior, I believe there are three ways that we should respond. First of all, take comfort in the fact that your sins are forgiven and your future is certain. 
because Jesus is physically resurrected, we can be certain that he finished the work necessary to pay for our sins. You have nothing left to pay. Because Jesus is gloriously exalted, we can be certain that Jesus is continuing to make intercession for us. He is continuing to preserve you. You will not be lost. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our gloriously exalted Lord. We can also be certain that this gloriously exalted Jesus will physically, bodily return in the same way that he left. And when he does, he will raise us to new, glorified, immortal bodies just like his in order that we may be forever with our glorious, exalted, loving, sacrificial Savior. So take comfort in the fact that your sins are forgiven and your future is certain. The second way I think we should respond is to align our lives with God's unfolding plan. Align your life to God's unfolding plan. God's plan for the world is continuing to unfold. It's continuing to unfold through our resurrected and exalted Lord Jesus. And this Jesus has given us the privilege of not just being passive observers of God's unfolding plan, as great as that would be, he has given us the privilege of, of not just being passive observers, but active participants in his fulfilling scriptures and unfolding the very plan of God for all of the universe. So how do we do it? How do we align our lives with God's unfolding plan? By being and making disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. That's our mission as a church. It's God's mission for us. It's our gloriously exalted Lord's mission. And by carrying out that mission, we are entering into the story of God's redemption of the world. So we align our lives with God's unfolding plan by, by going out. We go out. We actively pursue the lost with the message of the gospel and call them to repent for the forgiveness of sins. We go out and then we bring in. We baptize believers and bring them into the family of faith. And we grow up together. We teach one another all that Jesus commanded. And we love one another as Jesus loved us. When we make disciples, Jesus is fulfilling scripture through us. And we are actively participating in God's unfolding plan and purpose for the universe. So align your life with God's unfolding plan. And then finally... Worship. Worship the resurrected and exalted Christ. 
I hope that these truths that we have seen about Jesus in Luke 24 have stirred up awe and honor in your hearts for this Jesus. He conquered the grave and he lives today. He is the hero of the Bible, the one in whom all of history and the whole universe holds together. He is the exalted Lord above every other power. That should cause our hearts to erupt in worship. As we sang before, Jesus is worthy. That song, Is He Worthy, that we sang a moment ago is based on Revelation chapter 5. And I would invite you to turn with me there. Revelation chapter 5. In Luke 24, we have seen the earthly perspective on Jesus' ascension. But in Revelation 5, we see the heavenly perspective of Jesus' ascension. So in this passage, it begins, John saw a scroll that contained God's plan for history. But no one was worthy to open it until Jesus entered the scene. He was pictured as a lamb who was slain and a lion who had conquered. He died, he rose, he ascended, and he was exalted to the throne of God. And all of heaven broke out into praise. Read with me, starting in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy! is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So this morning, let's conclude our time of worship by following the example of the apostles on earth and the elders in heaven. And let's join our voices and sing the praises of this worthy, risen, and reigning lamb. Will you sing with us?